Hi everyone, before we go into the podcast, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm super grateful for your continued loyalty and support. If you could do me a quick favour, if you could give me a review on Apple Podcasts, it really helps the algorithm and it will help this podcast go up the lists. If there are any subjects or topics that you want me to cover, uh, then please do reach out to me on uh, DM on LinkedIn and I will do my best to find the best guest for that subject or topic. This is the Absolute Business Mindset Podcast, created and hosted by Mark Hayward. This podcast will interview entrepreneurs, business owners, and careerists. We will delve into their journey to success, key life milestones, and go deep into their area of expertise. Get ready to learn from others' successes and failures. Today, we've got Ross Rich, who is the founder and CEO of Accord. Hello, Ross. How are you? Hey, Mark. Great uh, to chat with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. And we've got a lot to talk about. There's a great variety of different things that you've done in your past and and what you're currently doing. So it's going to be exciting. So the first area that I want to talk about is your degree. So you did a degree in commerce at the University of Victoria. So I suppose the initial question is why commerce? And and commerce is quite a broad subject. Why did you choose, decide to do that? Yeah, great question. Um, In terms of, yeah, why, why commerce? So the particular program that I did um, was actually two years of basically anything that you want to take at the university. There was about five prerequisite classes that you needed to take out of the 20 so for the first two years. And that's what really drew me to the program. Right. It was kind of the breadth, you know, it was like did a pretty structured, did the international baccalaureate diploma in high school. So it was a very structured yeah. program, very academically rigorous. And I really wanted to go out and like, you know, what's sociology all about? What's psychology? What's, you know, did public speaking course just wanted to kind of try a bunch of everything. Mm. And that was what really drew me to the program while still specializing in business. Always loved the concept of, yeah, potentially starting my own business or learning, you know, what goes on in that, you know, the world of your parents that are doing, you know, business stuff. What is that? So that's kind of what drew me to the program. And um, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. So what subjects did you cover? You said sociology, public, because, because for, for in the UK, we kind of, uh, there's, there's a general, I say general because it's, it's changed so much since I was uh, doing a degree, but for, for us in the UK, when I was doing it, there was politics, there was sociology, there was psychology, there was physics, there was, and it was all quite, you're kind of based around one sort of area. Yeah. So what, what was the variety? So just give me a couple of the ideas of the variety that you did in your course. Yeah. So it is similar in Canada as well. Um, like I did get my bachelor's of commerce, which was specialized, but basically you were able to, you know, take a lot more variety of stuff in the first couple of years. Then it was like super focused on commerce, but yeah, the things that I took, yeah, I did take a public speaking class, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I had never been, you know, on stage in that kind of way. And I think, you know, the challenge of that was really interesting. Um, I did find the, the, the psychology really, really interesting. I still find psychology and sales and all that kind of stuff, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, later. Um, super interesting. Um, what else? History. Um, really enjoyed. English lit was something that I really enjoyed in, in um, high school that I got to continue. Um Yeah, just, you know, pretty much a mix of everything um, other than, let's say, like math and any hard science stuff that I really didn't enjoy. So, yeah, anything kind of more on the creative side. Oh, amazing. All right. So so then after your degree, you you started your own business, Victorious Events, which was an events production company. So um, why did you suddenly think events was for you? Yeah, I actually started that um, in college. So with my brother in our first semester. So getting to school, we had these grandiose ideas of like, you know, what it was going to be like the parties for, you know, first year students, you go to resident. I went to an all boys school prep school for about 10 years before going to college. So I was really excited about, you know, just getting out there and doing new things. I was going from Toronto, Canada on the East coast, all the way to Victoria, British Columbia. And was like, it's going to be something totally new, excited to meet people. And there was just no structured, Wait, there were no like events being thrown, wait, you know, mixers, all that kind of stuff, which was really surprising to me. And I think it had something to do with the last couple of years, things kind of went like out of control. So they kind of canceled everything for the new students. So it ended up people just walking around the residence with like thousands of kids living on campus. Mm. 
doing absolutely nothing, getting kicked out of the residence rooms once they got to be like five or 10 people in there making too much noise. So my brother and I had this idea of hosting in all ages. We weren't yet old enough to go to the pubs and and drink, hosting an all ages event that was kind of around, you know, bringing in a DJ and us actually performing as well. We just were getting into um, music ourselves and performing and recording some hip hop stuff. So I was like, this is kind of a cool new thing. Never done any of this kind of stuff before. It was like, you know, this could be fun. And that was the start of Victorious Events. We basically host an event once a month for the four years in college and started this company. We ended up bringing in artists that were touring across Canada and the U.S., hosting fundraisers for things like Movember. And that was honestly the highlight of, you know, you asked me about my commerce degree. Honestly, I spent most of my time on Victorious Events. And yeah, it was super fun. You know, everything from knocking on local restaurants and, and, you know, places to get sponsorship for, you know, having their logo on our tickets or events and renting out venues and coordinating with artist managers and all that kind of stuff, which really led me to after school, you know, being interested in um, joining the record label. So yeah, it was kind of, that was kind of most of my experience in college. Did it make any money or was it all reinvested into the bar? (laughs) Uh, Towards the end, we were making a good amount of money because at that point we had leverage. We knew we could sell out the 400, 500 person venues. And we were actually getting a share of the bar towards the end of it before it was like, just whatever ticket money you could sell and yeah. some, you know, a few hundred dollars in sponsorship money from local places that wanted to market to students. At the end of it, it was, you know, uh, a pretty good business. But by then, you know, it's probably on to, to bigger and better things. So as you say, you, you, so you, you closed that business down. You then set up um, Ross Rich Management, which was developing music uh, acts mm. across uh, Canada. So, so obviously there, there's there's a there's a natural progression here from setting up your own your, your own events to to managing uh, uh, cl- uh, musicians. Yeah. How did you find the the the, the clients? How did you find the, the acts? Yeah, that's a great question because that's the most challenging part, right? Is how do you discover these promising new artists? And yeah. luckily in college, you're surrounded by, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of like, young, talented artists, musicians, et cetera, that are doing these kind of things part-time. Mm-hmm. And I think really need someone that believes in them that, you know, hey, you could actually take this to the next level. Like I was pretty into music and the scene with, you know, victorious events and, you know, myself just being an avid, you know, up and coming artist watcher. It's like some of these people that I knew, um, you know, definitely had the the skill to be very successful at the national and international stage. So started working with them and produced one, one of the highlights in there at the end of the summer after I graduated I was producing an album. So going into the studio for that week and helping kind of curate that and um, bring in the different musicians and coordinate the studio and all that kind of stuff and, you know, get the CDs printed and how do you figure out the labeling and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, that was, yeah, that was definitely a highlight from that experience. Um, yeah. Why did you, why did the business close? So, the grand idea was to continue managing these artists, which I was doing. And then I got the job at Columbia records after mm-hmm. college. So the oh, idea was help develop these artists, try to parlay that into getting one of them signed by a major label, oh, then going full time with the artist management. But I think the thing that is why I stopped pursuing that full time was really the lack of control that you have as an entrepreneur in the success of your business because your success relies on this third party. And I don't know if you've ever worked with artists, the artist type before, no offense, you know, obviously amazing stuff. I love music, my biggest passion, but like they're not the easiest, most reliable people to work with. So you're really taking this huge bet, especially if you're only working with one or two versus, you know, you're proven and you have a roster of 20 plus 30 plus artists to rely on your success in your life and all this, you know, effort and passion you're putting into to whatever they're working on, right, and doing. So that was why at the end of the day, I, you know, kind of as a as a profession, as, you know, my goal in life to do that kind of sunset that um, just didn't feel like I had enough control over the success. The thing that I, my perception, and I might be totally incorrect, my perception of being a manager of, of, a, of a band or of an artist is essentially you're a babysitter and you're telling them where they need to be and what they need to do. It, it, this is my perception. Like, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you're, you're literally saying, right, you need to be at this place to, to, to do this, to record music. You, they need to do a show, blah, 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 blah. Is it like that? Or is it slightly different to that? I think it's very akin to 
partly to the relationships of a lot of partnerships in small businesses and entrepreneurship, which it really depends on who those two or three people or that group of people that are starting it are, right? Sometimes it's the very talented artists or technologists or whoever it is and the business person kind of crafting that. Sometimes it's two business people and you go out and hype. So it really depends on the, yeah, the types of people in that relationship. So sometimes it is very, you know, non-structured, amazing, talented artists, and they need someone to guide them or they're not going to be successful and do the things that they need to do. Sometimes it could be an incredibly, you know, well-spoken business plan in their mind, structured, all that kind of stuff. And you're helping in other areas. Maybe you're helping more on the musical side and you're matching them with other songwriters and you're more involved there. So it really depends on um, the skill set of both those people going in, which I think is the same for any type of, you know, early business relationship in an entrepreneurial venture. Absolutely. And then you got a role at Columbia Records. Did it feel like, um, did it feel like graduation going into a big company like Columbia after doing, doing your own thing? We'll be back after a quick break. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. Yeah, that is one of, I think, probably the most interesting like shifts in my career and life and experiences, even more so than Stripe to Accord, which we'll get to. Um, Because that was my dream job, right? Like doing these events in college, managing these artists, you know, small time bookings, all this kind of stuff. It was fun. It was very creative. It was like going from zero to one a lot of the time with all this stuff. But that's like the big leagues. That's like, you know, one of the most recognizable labels in the world. Like, Adele at the time, like all the stuff is just like incredible. And I worked really hard to get that. that How did you get it? How did you get the role? Um, It's a great story, actually. So I got the, first you have to do like unpaid internship. Where I basically lived in a two bedroom apartment in Los Angeles, shared by five people, five guys. Um, First, so that was like, you know, um, kind of a crazy experience getting the internship, hustling to do that. And basically I was getting coffee and doing like, you know, transcribing the lyrics of a song for like, you know, the CD to be pressed, like just kind of basic things like that. And I built a relationship. I was just trying to like help out in any way I could and build relationships in the office, ended up getting close to the president's assistant and doing a lot of the stuff for him. And, and there was this annual softball tournament in New York. So this was in LA, the main offices in New York of Sony Music and Columbia Records. Yeah. I knew that they had the softball tournament and I booked my flight home actually through New York, hoping that I would get invited to the <laughs> softball tournament because <laughs> interns aren't usually invited. So the end of the summer, it's wrapping up. I luckily got the invite after building relationships with people in the office. I was like, yeah, you know, I was planning on being there to see friends on the way back from the internship and blah, blah, blah. So I go to the game and it's super competitive. Like all the, all the people, the executives like are really, really into it. <laughs> and, and luckily the team that I was on um, playing for the president, et cetera, we won. And I helped win the game. I was like one of the only like people that still played sports. I was playing intramural, like, you know, softball in college and oh, basketball, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So we won. I got to meet the CEO of the label and he basically like offered me a job. He was like, Hey, are you graduating at the end of, you know, the summer and, you know, are you going to start next year? Da, da, da. It's like, no, I still got a year more of school. This was between my, you know, third and fourth year in college. And um, so that was kind of like, oh, is this like real, whatever? So to keep the relationship on my spring break, instead of going to party or doing something fun, I actually drove down the, the, my final year at school. I drove down from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, down to LA for a meeting with executives they put this together like an hour-long meeting hey what do you think about after and they introduced me to the folks in new york flew out Mm -hmm. to new york all that kind of stuff and and got the job um just from the relationship so um yeah it's kind of a crazy story from the internship to the softball game to the drive during you know spring break to 
yeah, getting getting the job there. And um, and what I read, so, so <laughs> I'm going to show my age. So I, I when I looked at your list of people that you you worked with, the <laughs> only two that I actually did recognise, and to my shame, was Kelvin Harris and Snoop Dogg. So both sort of polar apart sort of on on musical genre but um you were working with big recognized clients and 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 it was more marketing though it wasn't it wasn't the management side of the of the clients yeah so it it was called marketing but really what the job was so i was basically a coordinator for two executives and they would represent these big names for the label And basically yeah. their job really wasn't how you'd think about marketing in a, in a, in a corporation. Okay. It was really the hub of the different spokes of the label and of what you need to do to distribute and get the artists, you know, name, word, tour, et cetera, out. So basically we would host these like weekly uh, meetings with the rest of the label, with their touring agent, with their manager, all of those people. And we would basically pay, play points. Be like, what's going on with the artists? What's the plan for touring and events? What's the plan for radio? What's the plan for digital service providers like yeah. Spotify and Apple? So yeah. we were yeah. like, because everything is marketing for record label. Your distribution, the record yeah. label's job is marketing. So it's kind of like you are coordinating and playing quarterback for yeah. the entire team. And each of my, the way the music industry was going was basically each of them used to have their own coordinators or assistants. Yeah. And then each of them would have fewer artists because each artist would make more money back in the day and how the industry has changed. So it was like each of them had probably twice the artist load that they would normally have. Plus I was split between both of them. So it was like an absolutely crazy role as my first job out of school. And this yeah, you know, nearly impossible job to, to do everything every day. Uh, I'm assuming, but you loved it. You loved, you loved working there, working with the people, working with the artists. You'd think so. I hated it. Yeah, it was my dream job. It was my dream job. And I was super excited to get it. I worked so hard. All the things that I've done in my past, not having any connections there in the US, like yeah. got it. And it was just so bureaucratic. It was just so uncreative, non-entrepreneurial, just getting lapped by everything else that's happening in the world. Right. And it was really disappointing. And the culture, it really was the culture that was just just very, and I think this is classic in a lot, not everyone obviously there's exceptions to the rule, but I think there's this sense of ego that comes with working with people that are famous. I think yeah. people feel like the sense of I'm special because the word of the artist and I'm tied to them are out there. And I just felt that. And I felt this also pressure of all these people that were, you know, further along in their career there, what they hoped it to be, right? They probably worked their whole life. They were super passionate about music. They worked their way up in this bureaucratic structure. And the music world isn't the same anymore if you're here. That's Before right. we used to go crazy dinners and trips and private jets and signing these people and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not like that anymore. Well, was, was, was that the advent of... Was happy, yeah. Was that the advent of streaming? Because streaming made such a yeah. huge difference to... Yeah. The, Steve to Jobs the and the deal with iTunes, I think, transformed the world of music, yeah. a dollar a song, you used to have to buy a record or a CD yeah. or something yeah. to get that song. Yeah. You could pay 99 cents or Spotify free or nothing, not even a subscription if at back in the day with Napster and other online yeah. illegal streaming tools. So it completely transformed um, the industry. And yeah, just, we, won't, yeah. we won't say on music, but I'm fascinated by music. I love music myself. So I, I, I think that that it sounds to me that you kind of missed the exciting, crazy sort of time <laughs> where people were signing multiple million deals for like three albums and things like that. And that actually I think it was for the best, though. I think it was for the best. I think that world and that industry, I think I quickly learned when I wasn't just doing it myself and working with folks and just a different culture and you know I did that's not where I wanted to spend not the type of people I wanted to spend my life with and I think it was a good thing that it ended up being I was so passionate it ended up being so bad that it actually took me away from it which would have taken a lot to do yeah. that so it's kind of the silver lining yeah okay okay right Let, let's keep moving on because we've got a lot to a lot to cover in those sort of sure. different areas so so you moved from there you, you weren't happy you moved you started working as a developer and training as a developer um and and from what no, I also Yeah, I, I did do some classes, but that was more of just how to 
how to plug into the technical business world. I actually, so, the, so what the story was, you know, hated the bureaucratic, whatever structured world there. I was still interested in potentially managing artists or doing my own thing still entrepreneurially. Yeah, so I yeah. took my LSATs, my law school application, you know, tests, and I was going to go to law school and I was looking at Southern California or somewhere in California, um, great schools there and, you know, sun compared to Canada and the Northeast of New York where I was. And uh, my brother actually got a job at a startup after school. He graduated a year after me. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll do that. I had like 10 months to kill before the next school year started when I left Columbia Records in New York. Right. And I was like, I would love to be one of the first business hires at a startup. It was the opposite of what it was disruptive. You could come in and make an impact. I knew the business side of things. I thought I could help there. So I started, yeah, learning more about technology. I applied to like 50 different companies, all like, you know, the VC backed hot companies in 2015 um, and somehow got a job at Stripe. Yeah. Um, no experience in sale, like technical, like, you know, sales, yeah. um, any of that kind of stuff. And luckily, um, I, you know, the person that picked my resume out of a pile who actually now works at Accord um, was just like, oh, this looks random and interesting with your background, you know, starting these companies and Columbia Records, like we'll give them a shot. And that's how I was one of the first business hires at Stripe, which is now a $96 billion company. Exactly. It's so interesting that that, that Stripe now is is such a huge, huge company. So what were you doing in Stripe as one of the first hires? What was what was your role? Yeah. Well, first business, one of the first business hires. So they did have a massive technical team at the time. They were basically a group of, you know, incredibly talented engineers, designers, product people. Yeah. And they didn't really have to sell the thing. They were working with a lot of technical start, you know, technical decision makers and startups who ended up becoming the Shopify's of the worlds and, you know, all these amazing companies um, that came out of that generation. Um, But they weren't selling into existing businesses that needed to go through these big transformations to change the way that you're accepting all of your revenue from your customers. That's a big decision and a big sale. Um, So they decided to go, you know, a market and create this motion. So really when I started, it was like, what do we say to people that write in about Stripe. Like, how do we sell them? We were literally responding to our first customers when I joined out of the support software, out of like Zendesk and user voice instead of sales and Salesforce. We didn't even have Salesforce stood up at the time. And the head of sales would basically individually pick the accounts that would go to the first reps like myself. So it was literally like one-to-one and responding to support tickets with the sales organization. And it really developed, obviously, over the four years, we went from about five people to 500 plus and globally. Um, So that was really my four and a half years there was uh, just that crazy transition from what do we say to people? How do we respond to we have a 500 plus global organization for sales um, and that level of sophistication? So it it was a crazy, crazy experience. And, and and what did you learn? Like, because you then started Accord after that. What what did you learn from that type of business that you took on to Accord? We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it? And what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Yeah, great question. Um, well, personally, I learned that I absolutely love sales and building relationships with people and really helping solve business problems for my customers. Yeah. And I was I was one of the top reps pretty much every single quarter, if not the top rep for every quarter that I was there. And people had, you know, 10 plus years of sales experience and technology and all this kind of stuff. I just approached it like, how are we going to solve? These are really interesting problems. How does this company go global? How do they expand into the EU? How do they solve these challenging fraud problems when they're, you know, when there's 
illegal credit cards being used against their business and they're losing thousands of dollars or how do they do this and that? It was just super interesting to me. And I was just diving in and solving problems with them. So I just learned that I absolutely loved the craft of sales, um, which kind of informed me um, starting Accord. But I think the two big learnings as like an organization, what we're trying to solve with Accord that I learned from Stripe, the first being the level of sophistication of like the operating system of sales is just like way behind every other organization. I was looking at engineering and the tools that they were using, mm-hmm. like GitHub to collaborate and, you know, with code and open source and all that kind of stuff. I was like amazing with um, product, with Atlassian and Jira and all these amazing tools for product management. And then for design with Figma and other amazing collaboration tools and, and things to work together. In sales, we were using email, conference calls, and Salesforce, which is just for forecasting and pipeline management, not really for working with your customer or with other internal teams. And that really stood out to me because basically I was asked to, as we were going from just talking to startups to mid-market companies to enterprise in the last year and a half, um, working on global partnerships was, um, how do you, how do we understand what success means in a sales process or buyer journey for our customers as we go from one or two reps in the segment to 10 to 20 to 50. Yeah. And I, I couldn't figure out an effective way to do that. And I think it was because we didn't have a system to do that with. So I was trying to do this on Google Docs and Google Sheets and Confluence pages and bring in sales trainers to be like, and this is the first call and this is what you do next and blah, blah, blah. It's like no sales rep in a deal, no matter how much you want to learn, isn't going to go back to some sort of internal documentation and learn the thing that I learned from thousands of calls before they joined. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing that I couldn't solve at Stripe that I really wanted to figure out that, you know, we're trying to do with Accord. And the second was just kind of the level of conversation that people were having with customers in the B2B world. I just felt like surprised, like every training you'll get, any book you'll read in B2B sales is basically don't talk about your product only. Don't talk about the features and functionality. Yeah. Talk about their problems. Understand what they're trying to do yeah. and be a partner in solving it. And 95% of conversations still always go back to, these are all the amazing bells and whistles and us, us, us. Here's the logo slide. Here's how many offices we have. This is our company history and our story. Like no one cares about that. They care about solving the problem that they're working on. Yeah. And that is something that I was really passionate about seeing at Stripe, even at this incredible, you know, top tier company that still most conversations went back there. So those are the two big things that wanted to solve with Accord that led me to starting the company myself is what's that operating system for sales and how do we uplevel the conversations that are happening between buyers and sellers? You know what? I had a call today, um, which was kind of like a sales call for my coaching and really just listening to you there. I, I'm just sort of sort of re- reflecting in, in my head and and I didn't talk enough about the client and the problems that they're facing. Mm-hmm. You find it so easy to get into, well, this is what I provide. This is what I sell. This is yeah. what I can do for you. Totally. And it's so important. And it's, it's been a really important reflection for me speaking to you just then because it's like the people that buy, buy because you're solving their problem. It's That's always it. about solving a problem to be able yeah. to get a sale, whether it's whether you're selling widgets or, or 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 anything. It's all about understanding the client and the client's problem and working that out. So, um, yeah. So anyway, let, let's move on to Accord. So, um, so tell me about it. Tell me about the business. What what do you do, and um, and 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 how do you help your clients? Yep. So Accord is a customer collaboration platform for B2B sales, onboarding, and success. And the idea is you basically, with our platform, create these custom workspaces between a buyer and seller. Mm -hmm. So say you're in early conversation, you're selling, um, what's something that everyone will know that's relatively complex? Um, You think your viewers are going to know about Stripe? Yeah. 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 Okay. Say say you're, you're a sales rep at Stripe. And you're yeah. talking to Deliveroo and you're trying to sell them on using their Stripe platform instead of their homegrown one that they've built on for years. Yeah. So the idea is basically the rep at Stripe can create this shared workspace between all of the internal parties that are involved with the process. So the sales rep, 
the sales engineer, their manager, maybe an executive sponsor, the lawyer that's probably going to have to review the NDAs and MSAs, the, all of those people and all of the customer side of things. And this is what's really different that didn't exist before. So you're actually inviting the customer in. The, you know, the main buyer champion, their engineering leader, their product leader, their finance team is going to review the price, all of those people. And typically what happens is you have your stuff, you have your Salesforce and your email and your internal account plan. They have their, you know, vendor assessment, blah, blah, blah. And you're working on two totally different sides. So what Accord does is creates this shared workspace between both parties that basically has what the usual process is from Stripe. So it's like, hey, this is usually how we build relationships and help you evaluate, validate, onboard, be successful on our platform with all the steps, milestones, resources, team members involved, business case, and do that together instead of, again, being on totally separate places. And our whole concept and you got a mission is to transform B2B sales from vendorship to partnership. I thought that was so so important. I I loved the way you described it uh, when I was doing my research, moving that from vendorship to partnership. And that's what we try to do by creating this shared workspace. Like let's build this together. It's not send me over the stuff, whatever. It's like, we're going to work on this together. We're going to be in the same place. We're going to build a partnership. And that's what I loved about sales. And I think that's what the best salespeople love about their job. And, you know, I have great relationships with people I worked with and I think, that's where we need to move. And that's what buyers want today. So, um, yeah. Awesome. And um, it, it was all over the, the when I was looking, uh, doing some research on you, this 6 million seed rounds that you got with Stripe. So a, a massive kudos to get that. I think that's, that's amazing that you've been able to get that seed funding. Um, the question for me is, how did you, what, what, what was the process for you to go through getting that seed funding i'm assuming it's quite a rigorous uh exercise to be able to get six million yeah so interesting experience um going out for funding for vc funding so again we just went through my whole background no experience ever in building a technology company or you know raising vc money or even managing people at a larger scale before let yeah. alone going out and having six million dollars of capital to build a company with um so i had just left my job at stripe in the end of 2019 I had this idea working on it with my brother who's actually my co-founder ryan who was right. doing sales at a startup before and then at google cloud for four years yeah. um, so both kind of saw the same problems same struck etc um, and then we were really passionate about it and it was crazy because I felt like we were so far away from potentially raising money, let alone millions of dollars, right? People giving us tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars is like crazy to me, right? Like you're getting your paycheck. It's like very different than that scale. And very quickly, you know, we left Stripe. We built out, you know, a little landing page website so we could refer people when we started talking to them and doing customer interviews and built out this click throughable prototype of what we were imagining. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, we started getting intros to VCs from friends and friends of friends like, oh, this person, you know, I told them what you're working on. They want to talk. It was like, with just that, people were asking us if we wanted like multi-million dollar checks for, to fund the company. And mm-hmm. I think, A, that has to do with where just the VC market is, at least in Silicon Valley and, and, and the US. But I think it had a lot to do with just being from Stripe. And like, you know, the success that they had, and it's just, you know, I think uh, the kind of halo effect there. And then also, you know, my brother being successful at Google Cloud, we had industry expertise and working on a problem that we deeply understood and were passionate about and made this progress on it. But I was shocked. I thought we were like a year away from that of building and getting customers and figuring it all out and bootstrapping it, et cetera. Um, And then I actually was asking a good buddy of mine, Jordan Angelos from Stripe, who was leading their corporate development team at the time for advice. I was like, holy shit, like this is happening really fast. People are interested. Like, can we chat? And it was funny because, you know, we sat down walking through sharing him where we were at and what we we're doing. He was like, you know, have you considered talking to, you know, us and John Colson about it? And he mentioned that, you know, might be interested in trying to figure something out. I was like, like what like first i'm talking about all these potential offers and then like now this is a potential work together here like i thought i was just asking you for advice on this this is nuts like it's coming from all angles and so honestly i was like very shocked by how quickly it was moving and by the interest um 
And again, I think it had a lot to do with a mix of the crazy VC environment, but also I think what everyone kept on telling us was like, we're excited to fund you because you're passionate about this. You understand this deeply. It's the cutting edge of, you know, what could be the next um, generation of sales technology software and the vision and mission everyone like really resonated with anyone who's been in business in their life. Um, so we ended up, you know, kind of having conversations there. Initially, I was like, this is way too much too soon. Like, I need to figure out what this company is going to be and work on it a bit longer. We got into Y Combinator. And then as soon as we announced that, ton of interest from other VCs kind of looking at the next group of folks in, in the YC program. And um, I thought, you know, I loved the company that Stripe built, their culture, the high integrity that they had, just super humble. It was just like very different than a lot of the companies that you see that are crazy successful so fast. Mm. And I was like, that's the type of company that I want to build. I want to be, you know, very product driven, very people first, um, high integrity. This is a partner that I could trust. And I got to know over four plus years working with the senior leadership on deals. And it just felt a lot more comfortable to go with them as a partner than give 20% of our company up to a random, you know, finance driven person. Maybe they'd be a great person, but like, it's a lot, especially so early. It's your little baby. It's the thing that you've left to go after. So that was kind of uh, the process, which, yeah, was very, very surprising at the time. How many employees do you currently have? We have 10 right now, 10 accordions, as we call them, (laughs) or ourselves, I should say. And what's that a mix between tech people and salespeople? Yeah. So up until four weeks ago, pretty much everyone was on the technical side. Um, And then other than my brother and myself um, as non-technical co-founders, we have a third co-founder, Wayne Pan, who's our CTO. And he's a multi-time founder, has raised money from Sequoia before, exited to LinkedIn, just an incredible early stage, just not even just engineering leader, but across product and design and was really just an incredible match for the more business focused, sales and marketing focused, my brother and myself. Um, And then, yeah, a handful of of incredibly talented engineers and product designers. And now we just brought on our first go-to-market hires actually four weeks ago. So starting to see a bunch of traction and you know, look at scaling out the, the business teams. So I've got in my head, I've got this vision of you and your brother on in front of a whiteboard with some tech people around you and you sort of drawing sort of, this is what I want. This is what I want this to do. And I want this to connect to this. And I want to be able, the salespeople to be able to see this and, and the client being able to see this. I've just got this conception. Is, is that is that right? Or, is, or, or was it something like that? Um. So it did start, I don't know if you saw, we, we did a little blog post a while ago um, in your research of like how to salespeople basically raise $6 million. And we did actually start with doing demos of a piece of paper right. and like threw it out. And it was, it was like, imagine you click this button, go to the next page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's how it started. But um, yeah, it's definitely a lot more of a, it's a super collaborative process, um, the software development process, at least how we do it at Accord, which is like, yeah, first, what are you trying to accomplish? What is the sales rep of the person trying to do? Like the real why behind it. And then before you even code, it's like, let's build a prototype of it. Let's see how it works. Let's, you know, kind of talk about that. Does this accomplish? Go back. Does this thing that we designed or drew up accomplish what we wanted to do? Yes. No, this thing doesn't work. It's too complex. Then you go and build a very early version of it. Okay. Does this do 80% of it or 60% yeah. of it? Yeah. And you kind of iterate on it. So, you know, out the software development process, I think was actually one of the biggest surprises to me. I thought like the intricacies and, and the different people involved in stage, I thought it was more of like an engineer goes build the thing. Cause I was used to an API infrastructure driven company that wasn't very, there weren't a lot of visuals to it. It's just a dashboard. Everything else is behind the scenes for a cord. Yeah. It's an application that all these people need to work on. It's yeah. a lot of UI, like user interface and user experience. Yeah. So there's that whole part of it. So yeah, it's been it's been really interesting learning the crafts of all of these other people that that it takes to to do this. Um, so so I, 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 one more question about about business, and then I want to talk about some of the other things that you do because you, you you're very full on on extracurriculum stuff so so what's the plan for scaling the business so what's what's a sort of um 
plan for building client base? Is it is it is it increasing client base to to do it? And the other thing is, do you do it bespoke per client, or do you do you are you standardizing what you're offering? So yeah, it's it's a standardized software platform to answer that question, but we do spend a lot of time with each client helping translate what they were doing before and how they were working with customers and their sales process to the buyer journey on Accord and how they're going to kind of go through that transition, especially if they're a larger sales team, you're training new reps, you're working with sales operations and enablement on their Salesforce integration stuff. Like it's very hands-on from that respect, but it is the same software for everyone. Um, but, But your question about scaling, is it about number of customers, whatever. So we're at the point, basically last year was all about building the team and the platform, right? Like, does this thing work? Let's get the MVP out there. Let's work with our first few sales reps. What's the feedback? And it was overwhelmingly positive for both the sales reps and their, their customers, you know, kind of towards the fall and the winter. And we felt like, okay, this is time to do our launch. That's when we announced the fundraise and started to go more public, you know, actually go to market with everything and just saw this incredible influx of interest and people really loving the concept of, like you said before, building better relationships, going from vendorship to partnership, like across sales reps from managers to CEOs to startups to larger companies. Yeah. And we had 200 plus leads within basically 48 hours after our funding announcement wow. and a lot of deals closed, et cetera. And that was super exciting. Um, and I think what we were at right now is we validated that people want this, that we can sell the thing, that we can kind of market it. Mm. But how do we make sure that people are really getting the value that they're imagining when they reach out, that when we sell them, I think that's really the focus. And instead of just crazy going after it, you know, ge- generating more leads, selling more things like all the stuff that we did before, I think we're shifting to how do we make sure that all of these early customers are incredibly successful, that they all want to add more seats later, that there's no risk of churn, that there's no, you know, kind of how we're messaging and how we're selling them is actually what they're getting from it. I think doing that for the next couple of quarters is, is, is really key before then adding on a number of sales reps and spending a lot more in marketing and really scaling up the team and looking to raise our A. I think we really want to nail kind of the core functionality and outcomes for our customers And I think it's been nice to have, you know, more go-to-market people to help actually work more closely with these customers, make sure we're keeping on, get better data. Hey, who are the active users? Just being more, I think, operationally rigorous around all of those more usage things. Instead of building the team, building the products, selling the thing, it's kind of like a totally different motion. Yeah, um, before make sure- you start scaling, before you start selling to lots and lots and lots of clients, you want to get the product that, that, that what you're providing nailed down. I think it's yeah. a totally sensible outcome. Yeah. And, and not just the product, but the process. How do we yeah. how do we repeatedly make them successful? What are the meetings that they need to have with the training? It's like, I think we have the product with those early users, but it's totally different when you're working with, yeah. So kind of got to that 20, 30 mark with customers. It's like, okay, let's slow down before we focus on the next larger group of people. Yes, we'll continue to work with, ideal customers that come in but um i've just i can just i can just see us making that mistake and how easy that would be um to scale from here yeah yeah okay great um so so on my reading you like skiing hiking and coaching soccer football we call it football Football, um uh so so you're obviously an exceptionally busy person how do you manage that meditation yoga mindfulness um traveling Obviously, traveling has been a bit difficult this last yeah. year. But um, how do you how do you work hard and play hard? How how do you manage all of it? Yeah, I could definitely be playing harder. I would say that in the last couple of years. Um, but I think they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Like waking up, doing the yoga, meditation. You know, coaching so- when I was coaching soccer with kids after work. Like I think all those things really helped me stay sane and balanced to do the rest, like the getting out there, skiing some mornings and hiking, et cetera, and prioritizing that helps me do the long days. So um, I wouldn't be able to do, yeah, wouldn't be able to do the hard work or plug in more work instead of that. And that's kind of how I think about it. And um, I definitely don't always practice what I preach or like, you know, it's kind of ebbs and flows with how, you know, the getting up at six and doing all the right things and feeling really good at the end of the day doesn't always happen like that. But I think it's a great North star 
And um, yeah, I think you need, yeah, just for me, it's staying sane. And it's more of like the, you know, the, the therapy and the, and the release from all of those things. Um, I couldn't imagine just working all the time. Yeah. That's good. All right. Um, so what does the next sort of five years hold for you and your business? Wow. Five years. I and mean, it's like crazy looking back even the last year and a half and where we've gone. <laughs> yes. Leaving our jobs to like the round to the 10 accordions to the customers. So, I mean, I think the pace of this stuff, especially when you're infused by VC capital that you can move at is incredibly fast. So five years from now, I see us as, you know, there's hundreds of accordions, um, maybe even in the thousands and we have thousands of customers. And I think really the, again, going back to the mission, like transforming B2B sales from vendorship to partnership, I'd love to see, um, you know, just two things. One, and this is kind of like the, the larger goal is like how potential buyers and customers think about working with a company, I think is like the big goal, right? Like when you think about talking to a sales rep, when you think about sales in the B2B world, it's not like, oh, you know, I'm gonna have to get on this demo and they're gonna be pushy and I'm gonna do this thing and they're just gonna try to close me and it's not value filled. Like, I think in five years, I'd love for Accord to make a big impact in how people see sales as a profession mm-hmm. and how CEOs and VPs of sales and sales leaders think about how they're selling to customers and much more. We talk about being buyer first. It's mm-hmm. like thinking about really what are they trying to do instead of just like, here's the forecast and the pipeline and the collaterals, like what stage are they at when they're talking to us? What, you know, just taking a much more buyer centric perspective. So that's, I think in five years where like accord to have that impact. And for us just, you know, we need to be a much bigger company and have a much wider reach to, to be able to do that. Awesome. Okay. We're coming to the end of the interview. I asked the same six questions to all of my guests. Uh, they're quick fire questions. They don't need a quick fire answer. Um, first, de- first question is what's the best decision that you made? The best decision that I've made. Um, leaving my job to start a cord. I think that's, yeah. A hard one, but it was the best decision I've made. Awesome. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? The best piece of advice I've been given? Your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. Oh, go go, go a little bit deeper on that. Why, why do you think that? It's a really good one. It's really powerful. Um, I was leaving Stripe, my final kind of goodbye chat slash, you know, interview. And I asked the head of sales at Stripe, Jean DeWitt, if she had advice for me, uh, seeing me grow and work for four years, plus at the company. And she said that I was like, you know, sometimes like you're very passionate, you want to get stuff done, et cetera. Sometimes you need to slow down and think more about the strategy and all those kind of things. And that's what you're going to need to do if you're going to be the CEO at a company instead of just a very successful sales rep. And I think that's true to anyone I've ever worked with. Their greatest strength has also been their greatest weakness. And I think as a manager or a coach or whatever, or even as a friend or colleague, like it's just so true in any example. Um, so that's yeah. really good advice. Um, who helped you most in your career? Who helped me most in my career? My brother and my co-founder now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you need that. You, you, you need his his relationship. It sounds he's very crucial to the success of the business. Yeah. Awesome. Um, do you have any regrets? Any regrets? Um. No, I don't really think about things in terms of regrets, honestly, more so learning. I try to, you know, keep things moving forward and staying positive and optimistic. You have to go through things that are tough, you know, mistakes that you made, as long as you're learning from them, I think is, you know, I I don't really have, yeah, any major regrets. So quick question. So this isn't in in the six questions, but it's just struck me. So the greatest partnerships that I've sort of seen and sort of experienced is that you have one that's optimistic and one that's a little bit more pessimistic. You're really, you, you seem like this passionate, optimistic sort of go-getter that's going to gonna get to your dreams. Is your brother a little bit more pessimistic or does he support you with that optimism? Um, 
Yeah. So for, for us, it's kind of, yeah, my brother, myself, and then Wayne, I would say Wayne is definitely more of like, I mean, you have to be kind of optimistic and hopeful to start a company and be a co-founder and all that kind of stuff, but definitely leans more towards the let's, you know, get everything right and make sure and all that kind of stuff. I'd say my brother is a mix of us. He needs to know everything. I'm more like, let's just do it and figure it out. Like he likes to have all the questions answered and to dig into it more, but yeah. is still optimistic. So it's just about, yeah, different, definitely di- you need different types of personalities and levels of that to be successful, to slow you down, to bring you back, to push forward to certain things. So yeah, it's definitely each of us have like our own approach to, to that. Okay. Back to the questions. What are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? Probably the team that we've built in the context of Accord say, yeah, just like the incredible people that we've been able to to find that want to go on this journey with us, especially so early and, you know, like unproven co-founders in business and come along for the ride and, and be a part of it. And the culture that we've built, even just fully remote in the last year and a half. Yeah. Super, super proud of that. Looking back. Awesome. What does legacy mean to you? The impact that you've had on people's lives while you're around. Okay. And lastly, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? They can find me on LinkedIn, Ross Rich Accord. They can reach out to me at ross at inaccord.com. That's ross at I-N-A-C-C-O-R-D.com. And if they want to learn more about the company, I'd recommend subscribing to our newsletter, which is called From Vendorship to Partnership um, on our blog, on our website at inaccord.com. So yeah feel free to reach out always love chatting with folks that are passionate about the things that we are so that's brilliant okay ross thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure yeah great to chat mark cheers 